This is Down to Freight, the podcast for enterprise supply chain, logistics, transportation, and warehousing professionals. We capture stories from industry experts who share their lessons learned and business outcomes from their technology investments. If you want to make the most out of your technology initiatives, tune in to uncover what it takes to evaluate and deploy IT projects with minimal hiccups to reduce your total cost of ownership. Down to Freight is hosted by Vector. Welcome to the Down to Freight podcast. I'm your host, Francis Adanza, and our guest speaker today is a supply chain leader who has led and managed large-scale global supply chain teams and projects for Microsoft. He has a penchant for applying advanced analytics and data science to supply chain optimization problems, which is so crucial in today's industry. I'm super excited to welcome Dave Weinman, Director, Supply Chain Capabilities for Microsoft. Dave, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Likewise. Thanks so much for having me, Francis. Absolutely. So to kick things off, do you mind telling the audience a little bit about yourself and for those who haven't heard of Microsoft, what the company does and what you do for the company? Sure. I hope most people have heard of Microsoft. We're pretty big, but I've been working at Microsoft in our devices supply chain for the last seven years. So that covers all of Microsoft's first party hardware. Most people when they think of Microsoft, think of Office, Windows, maybe Azure, where this is Surface, Xbox, all the accessories that go with those products, as well as PC accessories like mice and keyboards. A little bit of background before I got to Microsoft and mechanical engineering out of college, I joined the Navy right after college as a pilot. So I flew the P3 Orion. For those seeing the video, that's this plane right here. It's a long range surveillance plane, had anywhere between four and 21 people on board. And I learned a ton about leadership and management, especially leading without expertise and leading a group of people that had a very diverse set of lived experience. You know, people in the armed forces come from every different background and way of life. The other thing about the, the Navy, it's very much a mission-driven organization, which is very similar in a sense to a supply chain, although our operational missions tended to end, whereas supply chains just run 24-7. Also in the Navy, centralized, decentralized was a common theme. Like we had centralized guidance and then decentralized operations, meaning like, you know, when I'm flying around on a mission, like I didn't have the luxury of just reaching back and asking for directions. Sometimes it's ambiguous because you don't have all the information you need. So we had to make decisions based on the best information we had at the time and revisit those decisions when new information is presented. That's basically what supply chains are all about. When I was in the Navy, I learned about myself. I am very good at problem solving. And so breaking down problems into small digestible chunks and then sequencing them in the right logical way to arrive at an answer with a plan to achieve the solution. And that goes for you know little 30-second micro problems that every pilot has to face to major organizational transformation. Along the way, almost every solution to problems I faced in the Navy involved people. So I learned how to examine and learn about the human element, the human component. So people's skills, their ability to manage change, what motivates them, all those things. Those are parts of the bigger problem that I learned oftentimes through my own stumblings and failure as a leader to pull into consideration into my solution. So that's me in a nutshell. Like I like solving problems. I like to lead. I'm also a father and a husband. My wife's phenomenal at what she does, exceptional at the work she does. She, she helps companies transform and migrate to electric vehicles. And I have two young boys, age three and five. Like most parents with young kids, last two years have been a nightmare. Thanks for that overview, Dave. It really sets the context for today's episode. So you touched a little bit on your role in the company. Can you give us a little bit of context of Microsoft's um, supply chain setup? Sure. Yeah, and I'll talk a little bit more about my role because I probably didn't go into too much detail there, but Microsoft supply chain 
We have our manufacturing base in Asia, a lot of consumer electronics. That's where the supply chains are, that's where the parts are. And we sell through partnerships with retailers and distributors, as well as our own e-commerce platform. Like most supply chains, definitely consumer electronics supply chains, we're dealing with a ton of disruption. The frequency and the severity of those disruptions don't seem to be letting down, and we are planning for those to increase. That's a little bit about our supply chain. We are a global business. The annual revenue is in the billions. I did an MBA after the Navy and I land in supply chain at Microsoft and I landed in a planning function. And my job today, so I've done a couple of different planning functions. My job today, though, is all about transformation. Right? My primary function is I lead a, a cross-functional group to decide where and what we will invest in to achieve the strategic objectives of our business while maintaining the continuity of the business. Like I don't get the option to just stop the business, transform it and start it up again. So that requires working with a bunch of different technical teams from your standard IT, like core IT, analytics teams, data scientists, process engineers on how we're going to solve, align business leadership on the priorities, make trade-off decisions. And I have a super team that supports those decisions as well as project and program managed new capabilities. I also oversee our master data governance program. That's where we focus on systems, platforms for master data, master data quality, as well as all the processes to create and maintain master data. Wow, that's quite a job and a lot of responsibility you're carrying over there. So this is the first time we've actually had someone with a background in application of advanced analytics and data sciences on our show. Could you dive a little deeper and touch on some of the specific supply chain problems that you're encountering? Yeah, when I joined Microsoft, this was around 2015, we were about to launch Surface Pro 4 and Surface Book. The year before that was Surface Pro 3 and Surface Pro 3 was the first big hit. That was the first millions of units. Like that was the big one, right? And all of a sudden, when you had that kind of a scale, you started doing things a lot differently. All of a sudden, dual sourcing or dual suppliers makes a lot of sense. And now we're like, cool. Oh my gosh, we, we made this great product. Let's invest more products. So we had Surface Book come out. We had Surface Pro 4. We had Surface Laptop, Surface Studio. And the tools that we had to manage that supply chain no longer functioned to manage a much bigger portfolio of products with a more complex supply chain. What I ended up being very good at and solving the problems of, especially within planning, was how to take all the data that we're working with, manipulate it at scale to make far fewer mistakes, keep a high quality, as well as do something with the data to make decisions better and create better supply chain plans and do it faster without errors. That was the big one. That was largely through like Excel, but I was also really good at leading teams and leading other people. So it wasn't just me, but I was leading a bunch of people on like, hey, look what we can develop here. We could do this differently. Here's how we do it. And we work through change management that way. But I moved up through the supply chain. I did materials planning as well as reverse supply chain planning. I think reverse supply chain planning is where I had my first real taste of major transformation through analytics and data science. If anybody is out there like me that loves solving problems, love analytics, reverse supply chain is where it's at because it is a multi-flow. There's like dual flow. There's lots of constraints built in, like the customer sent me something back, but it takes two months to repair it. So I have to fulfill the exchange order right away with something else that was repaired maybe two months ago. What the customer sends back is an input into how much supply I have to fulfill another customer's demand. And that constraint thing, like the customer gets to decide a lot of things, how we run our supply chain, as well as the time lag and how long it takes to repair stuff, as well as the extreme variation and the condition of the product that we get back. It's just a super complex product. We went in there knowing that we had some issues, that we had, you know, like a lot of supply chains, like, gosh, our inventory seems to be out of control. We're not supporting our customers' needs in the right way. And we focused very specifically, like, hey, what's the problem we wanted to solve? And it was largely around how do I get better at forecasting and predicting 
at scale, what's coming back to us? And what are we going to need to support that customer and make them happy? That was it. Like a lot of supply chains, we were just swimming and drowning in data. Now, how do you make sense of that data? Well, the first thing is you got to know what question you are trying to solve. For us, it was pretty easy. How do you predict what's going to come back? But we wanted to do it at scale. So the first thing we did was start scraping all this data. We knew sale data. We knew sale information. And we had to do something unique, which was stitch that data together with return information. So you had to go down to the serial number, be like, it was sold here, it was returned here. And when we zoomed out and we put all that data together and we put it on a scatter plot, we like, oh my gosh, look how predictable that is. You could see a trend. You could see like, hey, there's a certain percentage of our products that are dead on arrival. They open it up, it's a small percentage, but they open it up. It doesn't work. They turn it back, they return it. There's a certain amount, especially around the holidays that it's sold. And then a month later, sometimes after Christmas, they open it up and then it gets returned. And when we step back and saw these patterns, you can actually see the customer behavior in a pattern. And all of a sudden, once you can see that customer behavior and it's very predictable, you can introduce that into some algorithms that then can predict all these things. It wasn't super complicated, but it was understanding what problem we were trying to answer and understanding and having a good hypothesis about what tools or techniques we wanted to deploy to answer it. And it turned out to be quite successful. Now, at that point, we just said, cool, now we have all this information. We have much better ability to predict simple, we're just going to set some standard safety stocks and that's what we're going to target. And that was the analytical part. I want to, and I know I've been talking for a while, let me just finish this, this thing. When I look back now with a little bit more time behind me on how that worked out, the real change, we took out about 25% of our inventory without impacting the customer. What really happened was the processes that we had to enable to use that information is what drove the change. It was great to have an optimal safety stock. Did we hit the optimum? No, we did not. But we enabled all these processes to then showcase and make visible where are we failing to hit it. And then we had the rhythm of business and the processes to drive change and do things differently and behave in different ways that would not have been possible without the advanced analytics. Wow. There was definitely a lot there. And so as I try to unpack some of that, well, first, it sounds like you, you really pushed the brinks of the limits of Excel with the amount of data that you were working with. Well, that one was not Excel. That was on Azure Databricks. That was oh, much, okay. Yeah, that would have been like 50 megabyte files that would never that would take forever to update. Okay, okay, that's clarifying. And then in terms of the amount of time, because it did sound like a lot of work, was this like a three-month, a six-month, 12-month project to do all of this? The journey of transformation was was at least a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Okay. The actual delivery of a technical solution was probably three months. Okay. That was good enough. How do I use this and how do I implement new processes and new behaviors of our planning teams to get the benefit of the technical thing? That's the thing that takes a long time. From Vector, we bring you Down to Freight, the podcast for supply chain, logistics, transportation, and warehousing professionals. Tune in to listen to industry experts as we explore the lessons they learned, business outcomes, and technology initiatives. Just search for Down to Freight on your favorite podcast channels. A year and a half is relatively a short time for an enterprise project like that. Mm -hmm. Were there any hiccups or challenges that you experienced along the way? And if so, can you share them? Yeah, for sure. Well, I'll say like, yeah, it is It is a relatively short time. One of the benefits of the reverse supply chain, it's always from a dollar's perspective, it's always a fraction of your overall business. Mm-hmm. right? And I'm so thankful for my leadership team because they gave me wide latitude to just go fix it. 
right? Which is awesome. So I had a lot of control. I was able to make a lot of decisions. That accelerates change pretty rapidly. Gosh, the hurdles that we came up with, the challenges we ran into was really around when you want to systematize and standardize. We use SAP as our supply chain ERP system. So we were on advanced planning optimization. We migrated to IVP, integrated business planning, planning module from SAP. It's the integration of, you know, maybe your ERP system isn't tailor-made for the problem you're trying to solve. Gosh, how do you integrate what you're trying to do on the side into your ERP system and then operationalize it? That was where we ran into a lot of hiccups and a lot of challenges. You know, ERP systems are designed to be kind of walled off from everything else. Like they're designed to work within the ERP system and they don't necessarily play well with things that sit outside of it. So it's those integration challenges that happen that cost a lot of money to do the integrations, but they don't by themselves add a lot of value. And that's a really hard thing to then prioritize and get across the line when it's like, hey, we have this great solution. Great. How do you operationalize and scale it up? Well, you need to spend a lot of money to integrate it into your ERP. That was the hiccup we had. Thanks for sharing that. And so for those that are listening that now know that that could be a potential hiccup, if you could do things all over again, what would you have done differently so that maybe you could have shaved a little bit more time off that already incredible period of just a year and a half or make things just a little bit smoother for a second go? Yeah, great question. Well, I'll say this. The first thing is the amount of learning that you get, like when you do a retrospective on that, on what are the challenges you ran into and what did you experience that you didn't expect? Mm-hmm. That's probably the most important thing to get out of that, right? Any sort of transformation is the learning, right? Because you can take those learnings and then do it better next time. And I think the learning we got from that was when you're dealing with platform infrastructure or like system infrastructure and you need to modify some stuff, there are a lot of unintended consequences and unknown dependencies. And you think something's going to be really easy and you find out like, oh, there's another team that uses that field for something else. And then you have to like whack that mole and, you know, and fix that thing and say like, hey, why are you using that field for this? Like, that doesn't make sense. They're like, oh, that's just how we came up to do it five years ago. And you're like, great, we want to change it. And you're like, well, it's like 50 people you got to get to change. So good luck, you know? I think it's that. It's those unknown dependencies is what kill you. So my guidance right now is if there is a large platform and system architecture bent to your project, you got to have the right people and the right mindset on the project to deal with that. So you want people that are thinking end to end and you want people that take a systems thinking approach. I do this over here. I want them to know and think about what's the downstream impact that that is going to cause either another problem is going to shift their problem downstream, or we at least need to communicate and coordinate with those downstream teams to know so that they know there's change coming and then incorporate their feedback into your solution itself. Generally speaking, most high-performing transformation teams are going to reserve capacity for those unknown dependencies. The best teams less amount of that capacity for those things because they're much more informed about the end-to-end system architecture. And now that you've been able to like analyze the information, you understand like what it is that you need to do. You said it was about a year and a half to actually implement those changes. Are you starting to realize like the benefits of those process changes today? And if so, how are you measuring the before and after? We do get the benefits out of that today. Those algorithms are still in place and they still do a great job. 
of predicting what's coming back to us and what's going to be returned and enables people to make decisions and take action against that. I'm sure there has been some updates since I left that role. Yeah, how we measured progress was very simple. We had, hey, this was the time where we started this transformation. We looked at our inventory level. We also looked at our service level. Like how often are we fulfilling to the customer needs that we say we're going to hit? We looked at that against our inventory level and we measured it over time. And you can see a pretty clear trend of it was about three months, four months into it. We started implementing all these processes and you started seeing the downward trend. Yeah, and at the end of the day, I think it was somewhere around $50, $55 million in inventory reduction. It was great with no impact or in some cases, improvement to our customer fill rate on what we're serving up to them. So now that that problem's kind of in your rear view, what are some of the things that you're working on now? Most supply chains, especially one at Microsoft, like there's no shortage of great ideas. The thing I've been working on the most on is how do we make decisions on what ideas to go after and what should we do? That's been a hard part, especially like when supply chains scale up, what got them there to like will not get them to the next level of performance. So when you get bigger and bigger, you start getting specialized functions. All of a sudden, it's harder to coordinate. It's harder to communicate. It used to be like, oh, you just get a group of these people into a room together and three months later, you're done, right? And now it's like, oh, no, 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 there's like, you know, you don't even know who to talk to anymore. And just finding the right person and speaking the same language is difficult. So what we've been really, really focused on is refining our processes on decision-making on what to invest in and where do we believe analytics and data science is appropriate to insert and introduce into the supply chain to solve what problems. The advice I'd have for anyone listening is like, it's really easy to come up with a solution and be like, hey, we should just build this and do this. And when we do that, oftentimes you run into some adoption problem. Be like, whoever came up with the solution will use it, but nobody else will, especially if there's a big gap between the technical capabilities of what you have today and what you're introducing. Like I said, we're trying to come up with better processes around how do we make those decisions. And we're just trying to, just like a lean manufacturing plan, push the quality up front in the process meaning getting very, very clear and articulate about what's the problem statement, what is the question we're trying to answer, what's our success criteria, what's the key performance indicator or the key result we're trying to achieve through a transformation, and then designing a solution that's going to take into consideration any challenges, dependencies, risks that we might have in the business, as well as the capabilities of the people running the stuff. That's what we're trying to do it broadly. And I think that's a marked difference from you know, how we used to do, which was somebody would have a good idea that had a loud voice. They could rally a bunch of people around their idea. That just stops to scale at some point. So now we're getting much more mature on our process of decision-making. Yeah, specifically though, what are we working on? We're working on supply chain disruption, just like everybody else. Specifically, we're still drowning in data. We still have like more data than we know what to do with. But at Microsoft, what we're trying to be is, it's a bold statement, but... What I believe we are trying to be is the best, most predictive supply chain in the world. That's what I want us to be. We have access to the technology working at Microsoft. We use a lot of our own products, mostly on Azure and what tools we can use to manipulate data. We have wonderful access to talent, the best in the world at what they do. I'm so grateful that I work here at Microsoft. And we are trying to, with all the data that we have, collect it, curate it, make sure it's high data quality, timeliness is there. When we need the data, it's there. We need to be able to stitch it together with other pieces of data sets to then serve up insights quicker than anybody else can do it so that we can make better and better decisions, preferably far in front of when the actual event or when the disruption actually happened. Great. Well, I think those were some solid lessons learned. Thank you for sharing that. 
So what do you think would be the keys to success for those that are out there thinking about doing a similar large-scale digital transformation within their own organization? There's two ways I'd answer that. The first one, you know, on actually doing the transformation, I just recommend everybody watch Moneyball, the movie. You watch Moneyball, like you'll see it as a baseball coach who's making decisions differently and using statistics to do it, right? And that's a really clear lesson about the value of data science in a lot of different applications. In my mind, the right lesson to learn, though, is the data size wasn't particularly revolutionary. The data itself was very old. What was revolutionary was the coach, the leader. It was Billy Bean knowing I need to do things differently in order for me to win. And if you watch it again, look for all the different processes that were not enabling him to implement that vision, right? They had the technology, they had the solution. They knew what they needed to do. It took him, the leader, to drive the behavioral change of the organization. All their processes had to change to do it. So first thing, watch Moneyball. The second thing, like, yeah, Microsoft is crazy from a matrix perspective where this big conglomerate, like, you know, it's a company of companies and we have to work across many different teams, a lot of different countries. So there's a lot of time lag and, and different roles and responsibilities. Everybody has their own set of priorities. So it's hard to get and coordinate, right? That's a big thing for us. What made us successful was our systems, processes, and rhythms in order to make collective decisions to create focus for our teams. It's really, really challenging when you have a certain amount of capacity and you have a mountain of problems you want to solve and you try to solve all of them. That really doesn't work well. So how do you create your processes and rhythms to focus on the few things that are really, really important while acknowledging, hey, these other things are really, really important too, but I'm sorry, we just can't do that right now. We can't get to that right now. We're going to put it on our roadmap and we're going to get to it later. And creating that focus was one of the most important things we could do across the organization. We're still on that journey. We're still creating the focus. We are still creating the clarity that we need for all the teams. And driving that alignment is this ongoing process that we have to run. And it takes a lot of energy. And it's not something you can just step away from and be done with. It's just this constant drip of energy into the organization. Hope that answered that question, Francis. It did. Thank you. You know, with that said, it drives us to our conclusion, Dave. Thank you for joining today's episode. I enjoyed learning how you've used advanced analytics and data sciences to solve reverse logistics and other large enterprise supply chain problems. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the time. Absolutely. Well, hopefully we'll have you back again to talk about some of the new initiatives that you've been working on. Sure. Happy to. Thank you. That was Down to Freight bringing you the stories and lessons from supply chain, logistics, transportation, and warehousing professionals. Listen to the other episodes in Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. Down to Freight is sponsored by Vector, the leader in electronic bill of lading and logistics workflow solutions.